so the challenge is, the question is, in a world that seems to be having so much that we could be worried about and so much going wrong, so to speak, so can we be happy? And a lot of times, happiness, the message is from the word itself. People think to be happy, I ha it has to happen to me. And it's gonna to happen to me when the right circumstances present themselves. So whether it's the right job, whether it's the right girl boyfriend, whether it's, uh, and happiness happens from things happening too, going on a vacation, going out at night, um, and all those things seem to be shutting down one by one. So, and many of us might be challenged with feeling isolated, challenged with financial challenges, with all that's going on, uh, challenged, uh, feeling down from just the news all around. So how do we do address this? And so much of what our society, the message it gives us is happiness is, you know, uh, Coke is life, you know, you happiness is taking a vacation, happiness is going skiing, happiness is uh, going out and having fun, seeing a show, uh, maybe hanging out with friends even, and we don't have any of that. So, um, so how do we get the happiness? And can our online presence uh, substitute for all these other things that we're used to and want to have in our lives? So these are some of the questions that, uh, that are challenging us now. And uh, in order to kind of address this, in order to kind of get a grip on how do we find happiness in a time of tension, uh, we have to understand what is happiness. And here I invite you to unmute if you want. Uh, if anyone wants to pipe in, what is happiness? What do you think? We've got to define it first. Hi, Rabbi Fulman, this is Jade. Um, I feel like happiness is, and it's very hard to attain this and to get to this point, but I feel like true happiness is happy with one's lot in life. Okay, so Jade's been reading Pirkei Avot. Happiness with one block. Okay, we'll definitely be addressing that. Anyone else? Okay. Um, you know, once again, kind of our society would have us think happiness is, you know, is shopping, right? The more things we have, we get all this advertising bombarded at us about, you know, people smiling while they're eating this, drinking that, doing this. So I'd like to propose that there are two dimensions to happiness. And the kind of happiness which we so often associate with it uh, is one dimension. The two Hebrew terms we're going to look at are simcha and sason. And I would tr translate sason as joy and simcha as fulfillment, contentment. And the difference is that sason is externalized. It's the joy that happens in the moment. It's the feeling of elation, feeling of being emotionally uplifted, it's something exciting going on or achieving a goal. It's that moment, 
by the way, I just came out of 11 days of quarantine. And when I came down the stairs and was able to hug my wife and kids for the first time since I'd, I was away, so in three weeks, that was definitely a moment of joy, right? The emotions were definitely uplifted. And kind of even today, just the novelty of being to go out and driving and there's a, that's the sasson, right? That emoting. Um, simcha is more of an internal type of happiness. And that is achieved not through kind of climax experiences or exciting experiences or novelty, but through a much deeper sense of fulfillment. And this is what we're going to kind of uh, address. So the rabbis say, and uh, Jay just quoted it, Ezehu Ashir, who is the rich person? the person who takes, uh, who is happy with their lot, who is content with their lot. And what's that saying is this first dimension is happiness is how you look at things, right? If you look at the glass half empty, then you'll always be miserable. Look at the glass at half full, you see what you have, and you can take pleasure and contentment in that. And that's the idea of counting one's blessings. Uh, every morning in the daily prayer book, there's a whole list of, thank God I have my eyes, I can see. And thank God I can get up in the morning. And you know, all it takes is a flu and being in bed for half a week or a week. And then when we come out of it, we appreciate so much just being able to go about our daily lives, right? And certainly what's going on in the world, uh, you know, when we get out of our social distancing and isolation, we will appreciate just being able to, you know, uh, go to a store and shop, just being able to get together with our friends, just being able to go out. So uh, that's one way to look at what's happening here. But even with our limitations, the pre premise is that if we look at what we do have instead of what we don't, then that'll give us the first level of simcha. By the way, the other thing is this, is that you know happiness is so elusive and yet everyone wants it. And the psychologists are telling us that, you know, statistics are that more and more people in our society are on antidepressants. And how can that be when our society is the wealthiest, the most comfortable, and until this past month, the one with the most freedoms and with the least worries of so many previous generations. And yet our grandparents seem to be much kind of happier than we are. So it comes back to, to these points of happiness is not something that happens to us, it's how we look at things. And uh, for my father who went through the, the depression, he was able to appreciate just simple things in life, just, uh, you know, having enough to be able to go to a movie or uh, didn't his bar was much lower than most of us. And, you know, we know the story of the billionaires who are still working like dogs to and coming even richer. And if you're looking at what you don't have, there's always going to be someone on the totem pole above. There's always going to be some other pleasure, some other exciting thing to do that we're not, that we're not able to do. So it's going to be a better vacation we can go on. 
So we have to kind of turn around our outlook and look at what we do have. So what we do have is now a lot of time, even those of us who are working from home, um, we have a lot of time on our hands and that's something we didn't have, so we can appreciate that. We have our health and that's accentuated by the times we're going through and so many people, people might have the virus or people who uh, have are carriers and have to isolate. So, or have to quarantine rather than isolate, there's a difference, you know. I didn't even get to interact with my family directly uh, for 11 days, it was very hard. So the first level of simcha is appreciating what we have. And the point I was gonna make is that notice that the rabbi's teaching is not who is, who is happy, it's who is rich. And it's interesting because in Judaism, it, it never presents happiness as a goal in and of itself. It's not an end. Happiness is a byproduct of living the right life, of having the right attitude, of gratitude, of appreciation, of, uh, and we're gonna see, of having a meaningful life as well. So this pursuit of happiness is something so elusive, something we kind of like try to grab and then it always kind of like just uh, squeezes through your hands because we're gonna change our focus as well, our frame and say that happiness is not something that I'm trying to achieve as a goal in and of itself. So how can that be? So the rabbi ha rabbis have another interesting teaching. This is in the Psalm, Psalm 128. And it says, when you eat the labor of your hands, you are happy and it is good for you. Ashrecha v'tovlach. So what is this saying? Uh, is this just the Jewish work ethic, so to speak? There's more going on than here. It's saying that simcha, is, um, well, here it uses the ashrecha, which is synonym for that. But it means that part of the happiness is the fulfillment at knowing that we're working towards a goal, right? Um, I went to graduate school, was in a doctoral program, wrote a dissertation. And when I, after a year of full-time working on this monstrous project, that was so intimidating and so anxiety-ridden at the beginning, when I finally accomplished, when, when, I, you know, when I was working towards it, I had a real feeling of satisfaction each step along the way because I felt like I'm working on something, I'm going towards a goal, and it was meaningful. And the kind of uh, fulfillment of working towards and then accomplishing a goal. Now, once you accomplish it, once I finished it, that was a feeling of joy. But the feeling along the way is, as it says, the work, when you accomplish the work of your hands, there's a feeling of satisfaction that we get. Um, when I was in high school, I, my father got me into photography and wanted to get a single lens reflex camera. And at the time, proportionally to 
what things cost, it was an expensive proposition. Today for, I don't know, $500, which doesn't mean that much today, uh, you can buy one. But I worked for three years on vacations, winter vacation, summer vacation. I saved up. And when I finally was able to purchase it, that was a sasson. But the feeling of, you know, of, of purposefulness, of building up towards something, gives us a feeling of happiness itself. Right. May I say something about that? <clears throat> yeah, please. Hi, Sarah. Um, hi. I wanted to thank you for, for your words. I, I just actually plugged in from, from cooking, and um, it's an earlier dinner than usual because it seems like the days are shorter nowadays. <laughs> uh -huh. But um, I wanted to say that um, um, what you mentioned about using your hands to 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 be happy um i think that you know in these days where we are at home actually doing something with our hands such as cooking and maybe not even excelling at it but you know just doing it and trying as much as we can to still use our hands to 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 still feel like we're creative and 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 doing something enjoy enjoyable is something i would recommend thank you thanks for that uh, input um, yeah, there's something about kind of yeah. concretely creating something, you know, uh, Jews tend to uh, uh, gravitate towards white collar jobs these days, right? Um, when I was in college, when I was in yeshiva, I paid my way through by painting apartments. And there's something so satisfying when you, you know, you see kind of this concrete creation that you have. So that's another dimension of it as well. Now, what I'd say is, um, besides this dimension of kind of the accomplishment, the working towards something, seeing each step building upon itself, um, there is another really important dimension we have to add on top of it, okay? And that is that the next dimension is that that accomplishment is something that has meaning and purpose, okay? Uh, you know, you go on the internet these days and there's people who collect stamps, there's people who, you know, do the most wild things and you feel like, wow, that person has way too much time on their hands. Oh, I know, it's like, you know, those uh, uh, domino setups people do that last like five minutes, go around, four rooms and you're like, well, okay, they created something and it was amazing. But like what impact did that have in life and in the world? I guess posting it and giving other people some pleasure at watching it. Okay, but uh, still, so the next dimension is that when we fill our lives with meaning and purpose, the, the, the intersection of the pleasure of the act and the accomplishment and the meaning and purpose of it is what leads to true simha. There's a famous book, um, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor and it's an amazing book. I definitely recommend it for everyone to read. It's definitely on a to-read list to read at some point in your life. And he survived the camps how did he survive? So you think he survived because he was, 
his survivor instinct. You know, he uh, was ruthless about taking what he needed, defending himself, sticking out, watching out for every morsel of bread that he ate, uh, distancing from anyone who was sick, and being ruthlessly survivor. And the fact is, it wasn't. He said the way he survived was by helping others. And uh, when he would have a morsel of bread and he saw someone who uh, was very weak, he would share it with them. And he felt that the meaning and purpose it gave him would help him to live more than the extra calories that he could intake. There's a story of, uh, about, uh, you know, in the, in the cars going to the camps. And the story is that it was freezing cold. And there was a young man who saw an older person cut, shriveled up on the floor, uh, curled up in a fetal position, trying to keep warm. And he realized, you know, I'm younger, I have a better metabolism, and I can help him. So what he did is, is he wrapped himself around the older person and their body heat, his body heat helped that person. And in the morning, when he woke up, he looked around and everyone else had frozen and had passed, had died. And he survived because his heat not only gave to the other person, but their, to their body heat together allowed him to survive. So the act of giving is what brought him, uh, what allowed him to survive. And kind of the metaphor is, uh, that's in a physical way, but even in a non-physical way, Viktor Frankl's premise, and he came up with a school of psychi psychology called logotherapy, which was the therapy of meaning. And his premise was that people who suffered from depression was because they had no meaning and purpose in their life. And for older people, this is a very hard often that, you know, they want to feel they have meaning and purpose. And that's why, you know, parents are ready to give uh, sometimes suggestions, rebuke, advice that is not solicited because they want to feel relevant and they want to feel like they're having meaning in, in their children's lives. And uh, so to just kind of dismiss it is very harsh, even if you don't feel like you can follow it, but validating it, saying you have a good point, I'll think about that, um, that all gives some meaning. So, so it's uh, finding meaning and purpose. And of course, this is where the spiritual dimensions come in as well. Viktor Frankl wrote a second book called Man's Search for God. But the premise of his first book was that, you know, a person can, the meaning you invest in it, uh, and is what will bring you that sense of purpose. And of course, if you bring a spiritual dimension in, then it's the act of giving, uh, and not just act of giving because I'm helping another person, but because it's the right thing to do, and because it's a mitzvah, and because I know that, uh, that God will look favorably upon it, that if we're all God's children, helping one of God's children will... Uh, will kind of fulfill that aspect of uh, doing God's will. So the spiritual dimension of the moral dimension, 
the human dimension, they're all there. Thank you for sharing that powerful. Thank you for sharing the powerful story of um, of the of the Holocaust experience. Um, I just wanted to say that. Okay. Yeah. When I started saying it, yeah, I, that's it. I felt like you know, in these times, Holocaust stories are not what's going to make us happy, but uh, we're trying to get a meaning and purpose here. So that's that's the point. So if we can right. find ways to give that are meaningful, so whether it's an older person who's we know is housebound and you know, just getting a call from us can lift them up, that'll lift us up too. Or bringing them food, finding ways to give and to be impactful uh, in the times when things seem to be shutting down is, uh, is a way to overcome kind of feeling down about, I'm stuck inside, I'm feeling isolated, uh, what can I do? And, uh, and we should look for those opportunities. So, so what have we identified? We've identified looking at what we do have instead of what we don't have. Who is rich? The person is satisfied with what they have. Looking at uh, our blessings and counting our blessings, which is vital because maybe in theory we know them, but a great exercise is every night, try to write down five blessings I have every night. And the goal is to not repeat them day after day. So there's a tool that we can take away. And the third aspect of Simcha is uh, the meaning, the joy, the, the sense of uh, fulfillment and meaning. And uh, I guess fulfillment is the best word, that we get a wholeness when we have meaning and purpose in our lives. And uh, that can be through, as we said, giving to others. It can be through learning Torah, which we believe, we believe, you know, acquiring knowledge is something edifying and elevating, but acquiring Torah has an, an additional dimension to it, which has an eternal dimension, which also we believe connects us to the Almighty and connects us to the spiritual heritage of the Jewish people. So kudos to you that you're all on here. And uh, we're not just trying to find out about happiness, but uh, what the Torah says about it. And doing mitzvot. So it says, there's another famous teaching, it's in the Psalms, Yivdu et Hashem b'simcha, serve God with joy. Once again, in this teaching, joy is not the goal. The goal is serving God, and the byproduct of that is that we can do it with joy. And this was really exemplary of that idea, that when we're doing meaningful acts, mitzvot, it brings us a sense of purpose and fulfillment, and that is the joy, the simcha, that will come with those actions. And Rabbi Nachman's version of it, uh, mitzvah gedola liot b'simcha tamid. It's a big mitzvah uh, to be with enjoy. Um, so, uh, so this is, uh, these are all these three paths of looking at what we do have, feeling the fulfillment over it by counting our blessings, and finding meaning and purpose in accomplishment, and those accomplishments having a greater purpose as the added dimension. So those are our four points of how we can 
bring more simcha into our lives. And the tool would be every night try to write down five blessings. And I think in these trying times, especially, it's a great spiritual practice to try and adopt. And, uh, you know, open up a Word file, take a notebook, whatever you're, uh, you know, you're old school, you have a diary. New school, uh, I put a lot of stuff in the notes in my phone, everything I want available. So I'll probably stick it in there. And uh, even set an alarm uh, for whatever, 10, 11 o'clock at night before we go to sleep. And try and, uh, try and do that tool, that action. And then uh, in terms of meaning and purpose, try and look at uh, what more mitzvot we can do, how we can up the bar and uh, bring more meaning and purpose into our lives. So that's the simcha dimension. Now the sasson dimension is going to be more challenging because our lives are becoming more and more constricted and limited. And um, as we said, what is the sasson? The sasson is the moment of feeling that satisfaction, the moment of feeling of arriving at the accomplishment. It's the emoting in the moment when uh, kind of we reach those goals and it converges. And there's another dimension to it, which is that the sasson is so, transports us because it's something that takes us over, that kind of envelops us and allows us to be out of our mundane existence and elevated into another plane. And so there is kind of a dangerous dimension to this as well. And the dangerous dimension is that there are experiences that we have which do emotionally move us out of our mundane. And in our society, entertainment really fulfills that purpose. Watching movies, going to a show, um, uh, going on vacations. And the danger is that even though those are important to kind of sometimes recharge our batteries, but in a sense, they are a counterfeit. Because even though they get us to be totally present in the moment, they're not the result of any accomplishment. They're not the kind of achieving that, that goal that we've worked up towards. And so there's a danger of using those kind of entertainments as an escape and feeling that we're experiencing the joy, but it's really kind of a substitute for the joys of the real joys we can have in our lives, which are, once again, the, the, the feeling of fulfillment when we get to accomplishing the goal, that moment of taking it all in, or moments where we are connecting to the joy of being with those people we love, um, and, uh, and those are harder to kind of get to an emote. Music is an interesting one because music can sometimes allow us to touch deeper feelings, which are within us, to move us to a real place of joy where the joy isn't just kind of like a hyper excitement that pumps up my adrenaline, but it can be a joy that evokes within me other feelings and associations with things which truly give me joy. Nature also can do that as well. For me, it certainly does. You know, uh, 
or we have a balcony that overlooks the hills and the sun rises behind it. And uh, a long way from the uh, Manhattan apartment where you barely saw the sky. And just sitting there for me can transport me to that place. And for me, it's also a connection to the Almighty, to the creator of the beauty of that nature. So music and nature can serve that purpose in a way which kind of blends the two. But just a caution that, you know, um, especially when we're, and I just having gone through 11 days of it, it was a struggle to make sure I didn't watch too much uh, entertainment and didn't get distracted too much on Facebook and media and keeping up with the news, which all kind of gives you these, uh, what, what do they call endorphin jolts, but, um, but aren't really meaningful and purposeful. So um, look, just that's why reading a book has a, a feeling of purposefulness as well. When you finish it, there's a feeling of accomplishment. And uh, as we're told, it's a more active engagement than uh, the, the, the viral ones. So the sasson is something which is important to have at different times in our lives, but beware of the counterfeits. And if we're just using the entertainment to kind of decompress, okay, but don't let us, don't let it take over. And uh, the whole binge phenomenon is not a good one. Uh, it's definitely, I think, I don't know if definitely, uh, but it seems to me that it verges on the escape rather than on the entertainment. Um, so that's something to think about, about how we experience our sasson. And as I said at the beginning, so much of our society pushes us towards the next vacation, the exciting outing, the theater tickets I've got. And that's always kind of like this building up to this anticipation of this moment, of this kind of stimulating, entertaining moment. But, um, but life doesn't ride on that. And those aren't what really um gives us our sense of purpose and meaning so one of the challenges is that the whole world now is being cut off from a lot of those um exciting joyful moments or entertaining moments or escape moments and we're going to learn have to learn to live more with the simcha dimension of digging inside looking at the meaning and purpose taking contentment in it and allowing us it to give us a certain sense of meaning and purpose, which gives us an inner happiness, rather than relying upon the outer stimulus to give us that jolt of joy and uh, to transport us. So that's the challenge, I think, that we're being presented with here. And if we can live up to that challenge, then I think that people hopefully are thinking about more about, okay, how am I going to fill my time with things which are meaningful and purposeful and, uh, and to take satisfaction in them and, um, and through that to have a, a, mean, a, a sense of purpose. So I want to open it up, see if there are any questions, see what you guys think about this, uh, these two dimensions of Simcha and Sasson, of uh, purposefulness and fulfillment as opposed to joy uh, and 
where happiness lies in between the two or a combination of the two. Um, what do you guys think? Any tools you use to find the inner purpose and meaning? I saw there were some, some comments earlier from, I think, Noam and, and Dave. I don't know if we have, if we've responded to them yet. Oh, wow. But, uh, oh, three chats. Sorry. Let me click on them. Okay. Let's see the chat. Yeah, because I was mute. Okay. And, I'm learning here. The technology. <laughs> so Dave is so, uh, commenting that we should be content with what we have, not what we need. Okay. Very good point, Dave. That the... Uh, you know what we uh, what we need and what we want are two different things, and um, I think you're kind of so. There's three dimensions: there's what we have, there's what we need, and there's what we want. So uh, many people point this out that you know if we focus upon what we need and not what we want. Um, will come a lot quicker because it says the person who has 100, what happens to them? They want 200. And then when you get that 200, you're going to want 400. And then you have that 400, you go on 800. And what's the problem? It's exponential growth, which we've learned a lot about in the last month, right? So uh, if we don't find, stop it at some point and be content with what we have um, and the things that we look forward to or the things that we're striving for focus upon what we need and not what we want. Those are some good tools. Okay, Noam, happiness is being content and grateful for what you don't suffer from. Okay, so um, let's think about that from what you don't. So yeah, so, uh, you know, in the morning blessings, we thank God. everything in perspective. When you yeah, see when, that there's a lot of other things in the world that are, could be worse for you. Yeah, you know, uh, when our parents were, well, you didn't finish your, your main course, you know, there's people starving in China. That dates me, I guess, when I was growing up, there were people starving in China. Um, so we felt like, oh, come on, you know, the guilt trip. But it is true. Uh, Tal Ben Shachar, who's a very interesting personality, Israeli, he was the professor who had the most popular lecture at Harvard University. And what was it? It was psychology. It was positive psychology and happiness. And a uh, very interesting personality. He, um, by the way, he chose not to take a, uh, what's it called? A um, um, tenure track because he preferred he got more happiness from teaching rather than doing research, even though a tenure track can be very cushy, pays better, gets you seniority, you have to work less or teach less, but he stayed happy doing what he wanted to do and passed up the prestige. And then eventually he came back to Israel. I think now he's back in the States, but he made a very valid point, which was that um, you do have to have certain basic needs met. You know, the village starving in Africa uh, it is hard for them to be, for a person to be happy when their, stom when their stomach is empty. But once those basic needs are met, and that bar is not so high, um, then one way to, 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 to 
find that contentment is to realize there are many people who don't even have what I do. So the morning blessing of thanking God for opening our eyes. Uh, those of you from New York know Richard Bernstein, member of our community who was blind, amazing person who accomplished, ran marathons and was a professor in university and now is a federal judge, but um, state judge, sorry, no federal judge actually, I think. But he, um, you know, after spending, I'd sometimes spend time with him. I'd go for a walk around the park. And uh, after spending a couple hours with him, I was definitely grateful for my eyes and for the ability to see. So it seems very prosaic, but it's something that we can use as a change of focus and reframing of how we see the things we have in our lives. So especially health, as I said, you know, don't wait till you're sick for a week to be appreciative of your health. So when things are more limited, appreciate the most basic things that we have. And I also um, wanted, yeah. to wanted to say that I think it's really good to have really, yeah, some, some practical tools, as you mentioned, such as actually practicing this kind of, and like writing it out and kind of giving more force and more strength to those like higher angels of our nature by actually like writing it on paper. I think that's because we have two, two voices in our heads, right? Mm -hmm. We have a kind of an optimistic and a pessimistic voice in our head. So it's in the lower voice for sure. So, so that's yeah. why I think it's a good idea to, um, to, to, to use some, some might, might not need it, but, I've learned that writing things out um, makes them stronger a little bit and more, more powerful than the lower angels. <laughs> yeah. One of the great ethical teachers in the introduction to his book, The Path of the Just, says, you know, I'm not going to teach you anything new that you don't already know. But the point is to, go, to kind of think about it again and re-internalize it and kind of change our headspace and our focus. That's the challenge. Most of these insights are things we probably have heard before and probably know are true, but we realize, you know, I don't keep them in the forefront of my mind. So, uh, so writing them down, the process of writing makes us take time, makes us internalize it, makes us think about it um, in a way in which, you know, otherwise we might just kind of, oh yeah, it's a passing thought. Yeah, I should you know, take satisfaction what I have. I should count my blessings. I should be happy that I'm healthy and that I have what I do. I have, a, you know, a home and uh, people who love me. So, but taking the time to process it, to internalize it. Once again, the idea of prayer all over the prayer book is gratitude. Thanks to God, praise to God. And the gratitude is there. The word Jew comes from Yehudi, from Hoda, which is to be grateful. But we have to constantly try to live in that focus, spend time thinking about it, feeling it, and uh, and that's writing definitely helps helps us to do that. So we're going to sign off here. But um, if you guys are uh, are on board, the idea was to do this like every other night. So. Uh, Thursday night. Welcome to join us again. Um, I do have a handout, which I wasn't able to post here by Thursday. I hope I'll be able to post it. But if you 
email me either at my email or the tribe Tel Aviv email, uh, I'll email you back with the attachment, um, which has the sources that we talked about and a checklist of, uh, of the um, tools. And I also have a sign, where is it? Um, I have a computer. And the sign is, um, it's basically, uh, happiness is not something that happens, remember to be happy. And if we print that out, stick it over your desk, um, we said at the beginning, the problem is we think happiness is something that happens to us, but it's not. It's something that we make happen. And uh, we've got to allow ourselves and remind ourselves that we have so many blessings and that we can be happy and uh, should be happy. So uh, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick it over my desk and keep that constantly in focus especially in these trying times. So great to have you all join us. And uh, unless you have any last comments or questions, uh, we're gonna sign off. Thank you so much Rabbi Feldman for the inspirational uh, share and words and look forward, uh, God willing, to joining you back Thursday uh, afternoon here in New York. Okay, and if anyone has thoughts or ideas of what you'd like discussed or what could be helpful, uh, feel free to email me suggestions, okay? Thank you so much. Okay, have a good Thank night. Thank you, Rabbi Fatman. It was a pleasure. Well. Okay. Nice evening, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.